0: So for the record, I've recorded this podcast three times over the last three months, and each time I record it, I go, I don't think that was very good, and I throw it away, and I do a different one, and I won't tell you what weeks those were, um, but this is something that's been on my head for a while. It's been in my mind. It's been something I've been kind of kicking around for a while, and I think it's percolated long enough. I'm really hoping, having recorded this, this actually goes live, uh, so we're going to talk about challenger brands, uh, came up in a conversation a couple days ago, and I got a sense that it wasn't completely well explained and I wanted to dive into it because there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of meat in this concept of a challenger brand that we don't get a chance to explore usually. So I'm going to talk about challenger brands today. I think everybody who owns an employer brand or thinks about employer brand should absolutely listen for this one. This is going to be a good one. I hope I, hope I record it and finish it and like it really. Uh, I've set the bar pretty high for myself. So uh, there you go. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand and recruiting podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. Thanks so much for listening, if this is your first time, for joining in we do things a little differently. We try and do deep dives. There's not a lot of interviews here. There's not a lot of news here. This is about how do we get smarter and better. And that means how do I get you smarter and better? How do I get you to think about these problems at a deeper level so that you can solve them and look like a genius to your boss? If this isn't the first time you've been here, thanks so much for returning. Feel free to share with your friends, your coworkers, your boss. I don't know. Uh, We really do appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. Hey, James Ellis here. How you doing? The housekeeping is as follows. Going to be at Transform in two weeks in Boston. You should go. If you haven't bought a ticket, it might be too late. Uh, but the live stream is available s- places. <laughs> I keep getting emails saying, hey, would you like to be on part of the live stream? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to be on part of the live stream. So people are offering live streams. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to be at Recfest in London. I'm going to be at SRSC in Philly in August and uh what else am i doing i got stuff oh i'm gonna in be minneapolis in joel in in september and you know stuff so uh if you want more information if you want show notes if you want to stay on my email list and just say what's up you know where to go it's the talentcast.com it's saltlab.com it's uh you know employerbrand.consulting and it's you know so many different websites <laughs> i have to figure this out so anyway challenger brand so let's just start i you know how much i love to start with definitions i really do i got back for yesterday i was in um beautiful bettendorf iowa i say it's beautiful i don't know um i was there for a heartbeat um talking about if you if anybody talks to you about employer brand it doesn't start by defining what an employer brand is they're selling you something and they're not doing a great job so let's start with the definition of a challenger brand a challenger brand is the idea Let's call it, and we'll embrace consumer marketing to start before we move it over to employer branding. It's this idea that in any given market, cars, computers, speakers, pens, phones, watches, whatever it is, there is a brand leader. That is the number one brand in that space. So if you're talking about Uh, you know, and actually I don't know who we'd be talking about. If it's cars, it's, you know, it was Toyota for a minute, it's Ford or it's whoever. There's big, big, big brands, the number one brand of cars, the number one company. They are the number one in the space. You know, if it was a search engine, Google would be the number one search engine by a a country mile, as it were, if that's a phrase that you understand. And frankly, I don't know that I do. but google's number one it has like something 80 like percent of the market share or something right it's, it's the number one search engine why use any other search engine right if that's, and that's, by the way, the power of network effects. If Google has 51% of the market, more people will focus their websites on Google because they have slightly more um, uh, audience. So therefore, any work they do should be focused on the largest possible audience. By focusing their content on Google, Google will send them more people because that's you're optimizing for Google. It's literally called search engine optimization. There's a whole industry. You know about it. Um, And the more people you send to it, the more you optimize for, and suddenly your 51% becomes effectively as close to 100%. That's how networking effects work. But the trick is, in a world where there's a market leader, there are many, 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 in some cases, many, 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 many non-market leaders, right? The people who are not number one. And the concept of a challenger brand is the sense that not only are we not number one and being in a brand position is kind of like playing poker for those you've seen rounders right the size of your chip stack is literally a weapon in the fight if you have twice as much money as someone else you can use that money to push them around if you're if you have a smaller set of chips you have to be much more judicious you have to be much more conservative you have to play very different tactics you have to be a challenger so being in a space where you have the most chips you have the most customers you have the biggest market share etc allows you certain things and to do certain things that others can't right it's the networking effects google gets to do things and make Proclamations. Hey, everybody! Here's the here's a here's an example you might know. Google is allowed to say crazy things like, "Hey, if you want your jobs to show up, you have to list your salary." That's just how it's going to be. Now, if Google wasn't Google, if Google was just some startup in the middle of nowhere saying that, we'd all laugh it off and say that's a cute idea. That's, that'll never work. But as a market leader in a space, though it's questionable whether it's a market leader in the recruiting space yet. Separate conversation. Um, But as a market leader, it gets to dictate terms. It gets to make demands. It can use literally the size of its chip stack to push the other players around. I've decided the industry needs to do this, so therefore I will move everybody in that direction because I have that kind of power. That's the market leader position thinking. That's great. Now, the challenger brand says there's two other kinds of people besides the market leader. There are those who are content in their not market leader space. And there are those who are not content in their not market leader space. That is to say, if you're number two or number three, are you cool being number two or number three? Or are you not cool being number two or number three? That. Doesn't sound crazy when you think about it, right? There are plenty of companies that are perfectly satisfied being number two or number three. It's a profitable space. Someone else is leading the pack. All you have to do is kind of surf on their 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 trail and just say, okay, you you, you blaze the trail and I'll walk right behind you and I will be content to be number two because there's a higher profit margin potentially the way I've set this up, right? Plenty of companies are super successful. That's why car companies don't go out of business. That's why uh, you know, they can, you know, smaller car companies, people who are not number one in the market, they can be incredibly profitable. They can be incredibly valuable. They're content to not be number one. There's a lot of work that takes to be number one. Right? I'm sure Bing or DuckDuckGo or some of the other search engines can simply say, you know what, Google, you lead the pack and we'll take it over and we'll just take this tiny little niche of it and that's fine and we'll find a way to make it profitable. And if your goal is profitability over market size, boom, that's good. Now in Google's case, they get to be profitable and have market size, but that's a separate conversation. But then there are companies who are not content. Then there are companies who say, I hate being number two or I hate being number three or in many cases, I hate being number 321. I hate that. Now, if you want to move from number three to number two, it might make sense to simply say, well, what does number one do that's works so well? I'll do what number one does, and that's called the process of best practices. Right? If you see what the number one market leader is doing and you surmise with your you know, big old brain that you say, well, if they got to be number one by doing X and Y and Z, if I do X and Y and Z, I could become number one. Except that's not quite how that really works in real life, is it? You become number one by trying things that no one else has done. If someone, if it's already been done, why would you be number one? What would make you so special that you become number one by doing the stuff that everybody else did? How do you differentiate, right? So it bears some thought to say perhaps being number two or number three, the goal is not, if you want to be number one, you have to do it differently. You have to reject best practices. Best practices are a bit of an albatross around our necks, and for whatever reason, HR loves best practices, and that trickles down to recruiting to some extent. Uh, Not completely. I know plenty of people who are not into best practices in the recruiting space who are willing to try new things and throw it against the wall and be the first through the wall and figure it out. They are fewer and far between. Most recruiters follow a script. Most recruiters follow a process. Most recruiters read the articles to see what do the other companies do. Hey, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that too. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with looking and seeking good ideas from outside your company. In fact, you should pay attention to what's happening outside your industry, understanding the context, getting a good idea. If seeing what another company does sparks a good idea in you, that's great. But that's not best practices. Right? If you see a good idea and you go, "I'm going to do that too," then you're playing, you know, it's it's a sled dog game, right? You are just going to be not the lead sled dog, you're going to be somewhere in the pack and Keeping up and keeping pace with the lead dog effectively says you're completely comfortable never becoming the lead dog. You're always going to be a couple of steps behind. You will be on pace with the lead dog. You won't lose any ground, but you're going to stay number two, number three, number ten. But if you take a good idea from the lead dog and you say, Ah, that's interesting, but what if we did it this way? And you switch it around, and you change. It, you try it this way. That's a way to potentially gain ground. It's also a way to potentially lose ground if your idea sucks. But mostly, it's a it's a way of saying I'm going to be different. I'm going to do different. You can't get to number one doing what's already been done. Simply put, right? This suddenly means that the power of differentiation is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly useful. It's a deeply held understanding of how branding needs to be. You look at a classic package good brand. Like what is ultimately the difference between cornflakes and post toasties? What ultimately is the difference between Tide and all the detergents? What ultimately is the difference between a Toyota Corolla and a Honda Civic, I guess, right? They're they're effectively the same. The differences are so small that you have to be an expert to understand the differences. You know, if I have a preference of Coke versus Pepsi or Pepsi versus Coke, the difference between Coke and Pepsi is so small relative to, say, coffee, Dr. Pepper, water, right? Smart water, coconut water, all different things you can drink, right? The differences are so subtle that it almost, it's hardly hardly seeable. They're very, very, very subtle. So suddenly, the power of embracing your difference, of differentiating yourself on purpose intentionally has real value. Now, I want to tell you a story before I move into full time the employer brand space. And that is the classic, literally the classic Challenger brand story. And that is of Avis. And this is in the 60s. And for years and years and years, Hertz, the rental car company, just ate everybody's lunch. They were the biggest network. And because they had the biggest the biggest company, they had the most cars and the most airports and the most locations. And so consequently, if you're flying to Florida, if you're flying to California, you're flying to wherever, and you're like, I need to go make sure I have a rental car, why would you choose the number two agency? Why would you choose the number two company in that space? Because there's a possibility that they might not have a car in your location. Why not go to the biggest one that has the, maximizes the possibility that, one, they have a branch wherever you're landing, and two, they probably have a car you can use. It's a network effect, much like Google taking over market share by having a little bit more. It turns it into more. If you're number one in this kind of space where network effects play such a key role, being number one has its own power. It's the biggest chip stack, right? So as a, as a customer, why would you try anywhere else? What's if, – if a car is a car – I mean, it's not like Hertz made the car. They're buying Fords and, and Chevys and Hondas, I guess, or whatever, and they're renting those cars out. The same cars can be found at Avis and Enterprise and any number of other companies, and Joe's car rental shack, I guess. It's the same car. It's not, the cars aren't different, the cars are exactly the same. The value to, the, to me as a consumer is will you have the car when I show up? Do you make it easy for me? And the easy is a function of how big are you? If you're big enough, you have better systems in place to manage my my reservation. If you're bigger, you have more people on staff potentially or you have a more higher selection or you're in more locations. Maybe your location is a little—because you're bigger, you can have more locations, thus making it possible that your location is a little closer to wherever I want to be, making my life a little easier. Bigger is always better. So here's little Avis. Hi! I'm sorry. I don't know why I made that voice. You're Avis and you are the number two brand. And as I've described it, the number two brand is in a position where (laughs) it's in trouble. And to be fair, this company has lost a lot of money over time. Years. It has not been able to get ground. And frankly, how can it? The cars are the same as the other companies. The service it offers is effectively the same. The things, the other things that could be different, it loses ground in. It's not as big. It doesn't have as many locations. It doesn't have as many cars. Why on earth would anyone use it? And so someone said, and I wish I knew how— and this is one of those things. You, you wish you were in the room. You wish you were in the room to watch this kind of coalesce because I presume this wasn't kind of a shot in the dark, lightning struck somebody in the head and went, I know what to do. I think it was a long conversation. I think it was. I'm guessing, and I have zero information on this. I think it was a deep dive. I think it was just a long thought out process of just thinking about how can we be different? How can we be better if we're in a position where we aren't better? Where any measurable metric says we are worse? How? And they came up with the classic. Avis, we're number two, so we try harder. Now we're going to unpack this for a minute because I think this is like an epi- this is like the godfather this is like uh, this is a rich text <laughs> as, my, as my friend merritt would say hey merritt you don't listen to this podcast um she's a she's a movie person right um it's a it's a it's a rich rich text there's a lot of stuff to unpack here so let's talk about it so let's talk about the concept of saying avis we're number 2 is ludicrous here you are in a world where being number one gives you all the value, all the power comes from the network effects for being number one to state at the beginning that we're number two is, 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 is walking. I mean, it's not even walking a typer, but it's jumping off a cliff. That's crazy. You're effectively saying, why would you? <laughs> we're just number two. Don't mind us. Go talk to Hertz over there. They're number one. You're begging people to leave the hotspot of this thought, the chutzpah of this challenge. I mean, you've got to imagine the process when they pitch this thing. Kind of, again, I wanted to be in the room. We're number two, unbelievable. We try harder. Wow, suddenly you turn that dive off a cliff into the ability to fly, right? Not only are you number two, you're saying, don't bother us, we're a dead horse, shoot us, we're done, we're toast. We're of no value to you. We've got two chips and a dream in this card game. Don't mind us. Oh, but because of that, we try harder. Now put yourself in, the sh- in your shoes, right? Think about that. It's a pretty bold claim, but it's also a self-proving claim. If you're number two, of course you have to try harder. Of course you do. It's unstated. that Before that, it had never been stated. Because you're number two, you have to try harder. You have to move forward but now you're stating it. In fact, you're building your entire brand on this concept that we, I guess we have to try harder. Look, you ha- it's, 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 it's akin to one of those uh, used car salesperson or the furniture who goes, oh, we lost our lease. We have to sell our stuff. Hey, look, the world put us in a bind. You get to take advantage of us, which is always bullshit. But here in this case, you can say, look, okay, yes, they are number two. It's true. I, by, any, by any metric you can mind, they are in fact number two. And if I was number two, I guess I'd try harder too. And you can see how very quickly, theres you don't need a lot of proving points behind that because it's prima facie true. If you're number two, you have to try harder. You're not saying we're number two, so we're not as good. What you're saying is we're number two, so therefore we're actually in some way better. You're right, you're right. As Because we're not number one, we don't have as many cars. We don't have as many locations. We don't have as big systems. We don't have all that stuff. If you, uh, for, for those of you in the U.S., you see those um, cell company, co- mobile carrier commercials where you're like, look, we're not the number one widespread network, but the places we aren't are in the middle of nowhere. right? They're in the, you know, they're in the middle of the Rocky Mountains where humans don't exist. Why would you pay a premium to get coverage in places you don't have to be? They're effectively saying, look, we have the number two coverage, but because of that, we can charge you half price. It's a very different valuation on what's important. But this is deeper, this deeper, this idea we try harder because what really is happening, it's saying, look, not only are we claiming to be number two, which is like blasphemy, (laughs) we're actually using it to our advantage. We're not trying to be number one the way number one became number one. because if, if, if the answer was we wanted to be number one, what you would do, what that company would do was simply just borrow a butt ton of cash, buy a bunch of other little companies, install a bunch of locations, just splurge like crazy, make the most locations, make have the most cars, and become number one. You can buy your way in. The same way in a poker game, you can buy more chips. You could. You can absolutely buy more chips in many cases, right? And with that, they said, no, we're not doing that. We're actually leveraging the fact that we're number two and calling it an advantage. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. And there's all sorts of articles that talk about how that one one ad and that one ad concept not only made the brand profitable in a year or two, and we're talking in in, in terms of a million-dollar profitable, it also, after a couple years, forced Hertz to change its tune what used to be we're the number one car brand and effectively that's all you had to say because again, network effects. They had to change their tune. They literally had to respond to this upstart saying, because we're an upstart, we're better, right? It's the same way when you see banks, new banks start, you've got massive banks and they're you know they stable. You know what they do, they've been there forever. And the new bank comes and goes, because we're smaller, we get to be more nimble. That's a challenger thinking. That's a challenger brand thinking. They're saying, look, in what way are we different from other companies and how is that actually better? That is challenge your brand thinking in a nutshell using the difference to provide value. Now again, if you're in a brand and you're like, look, we're the number six player and that's fine. We're, we're perfectly content to getting whatever amount of value that is. But the trick is we are in a world where network effects are key. Look at the data on Google that says if you are, on you know the second page of a search result, you might as well be dead. Like the number of clicks on the first is on the first search result, the very top result that isn't an ad, and now that's getting fuzzy and complicated. Now that they make it less clear that those are ads, uh, separate conversation. But the first result gets clicked like half the time, and the second result gets clicked half of that time, and so on and so forth. And you see this very quick decay. So by the time you know the, the number of people who click page two. Is infinitesimal. Somebody once said, "The best place to hide a dead body is page two of your search results, because nobody goes there." Right? The value of being number one becomes more valuable, and in a world where that you're seeing that lots of different places. If you're the number six brand in your space, and you can only hire, and because of that, you can only hire second and third tier talent. Are those second and third tier talents going to grow your business to become the number four brand and the number two brand and the number one brand? No, the number one tier of talent keeps them because that your, your number one per brand in the space, because they can hire the best talent, they get to come up with the biggest innovations, they get to work faster, whatever model you're talking about. And because of that, it maintains their number one status. So following along and just doing what the number one brand does says we are going to stick to our cards and we're just going to play this out. We're just going to be boring. But the truth is network effects saying there's no you can't coast because eventually the number one brand starts to do things that you can't do and it leaves you in the dust that you will simply not be able to play their game anymore. right? So if you're, you're DuckDuckGo, the number two or number three search engine relative to Google, Okay, that's fine. You can play a challenger brand because in the, you have to change, play a challenger brand. You have to show some sort of difference. Otherwise, Google will leverage the fact that it has a mountain of cash to do things that no one else can do and will leave you behind. So let's talk about employer brand because now that you understand what a challenger brand really is, how do we play this out? And I think there's a difference. You can't, I mean, it would be very easy and very facile to say, so do something different. And I, I don't, you know, that yes, you should. You should always do something different. You should be always be willing to, ch- to challenge things. Um, for those of you who are a long-time listener, not long-time listener, her, her last time or the other time, uh, I talked to Lindsay Parks, um, who has just moved from employer brand to mar- consumer marketing, and I'm the, the recording borked. It's dead, and I have to re-record it, and I'm sorry because it was a glorious conversation. So, Lindsay, hopefully we can find time to talk about One of the things she talked about was this idea that as much as employer brand and recruitment marketing people think that they – do pilots and tests and are willing to test things and change things and be agile when you go to the consumer side the level of agility the speed the number of tests these are two-week tests i don't think i've ever seen a two-week test in recruitment marketing that consumer marketing just moves on uh, so much faster not just a little fast not just a lot faster but like a quantum level of speed faster um and i think you have to bear that in mind because as a challenger brand you get to test you get to try you get to push On the consumer side but how do you embrace that stuff on the inside as an employer brand now first off i think the key difference here is it's very rare to have a number one market leader and if you do have a market leader and there are some rare exceptions that market leader is not in a position to leverage their size as well as say a google versus a go.go right if, you're, if you go back to the poker analogy, yes, you might have 40 chips and they might have 50 chips. That means they have a bigger stack, but it's not so much bigger that they have an innate advantage. It's not like they have two and three times more chips. They don't have a, a majority of the market share. They can't start to leverage the network effects as much to say, because we have the the most, not just the most, not as a plurality, but the most as a majority, they can't do that. And frankly, in most companies, there's so many players that you spread that out very thinly, that there's 100 players playing this game. And of course, with geography being complicated, like, you know, are, are you challenging for people in Georgia as well as you're challenging for people in Hawaii as well as you're challenging for people in Chicago, right? It's complicated. So I think we can proceed to say that most instances of employer brand, there is no clear number one, which may suggest that you don't need a challenger brand. And I would say you do, or at least you can learn a lot from a challenger brand when you're moving your own brand. And that is you have to embrace this idea that just doing what everybody else has done is not going to move you forward. Getting move, you have two choices. You can just do whatever you want and let it happen, and you will be, you know, you will slowly lose ground, or quickly lose ground. You can do the best practices and slowly learn, lose ground as the market leader does gain some sort of majority stake, and they do start to leverage that mar, that that um, you know the the, the the market share and the chip stack against you. Or you can try something different intentionally. You can say, it's okay that we're the number two brand. We're trying to do something different. In, and, we don't, and obviously you don't do it that way, but there's a, there, there's, a, there's a kernel of thought in how you perceive your employer brand. So the trick is there's no clear leader, which means there's actually a lot of blue ocean here. For as much as we all read Laszlo Block's book on how Google did stuff and, and we read the trades and we look at the websites and we see, oh, this is oh cool case study. That's how they did it. Cool, 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 cool. Again, good information, good to know what you're up against. And frankly, if you're building your own employer brand and your competitors, uh, someone launch, l- l- puts out a, a case study about one of your competitors, absolutely read it so you can see what the competition is doing, to see where the bar is because you can only see so much from the outside. But there's still a lot of blue ocean. If you're hiring nurses, if you're hiring developers, and a nurse is an incredibly tough space, incredibly tough space, Right? But no one is, there's no one hospital that has more than 10% of the market share. So everybody's squabbling. And I think it's the companies that embrace best practices are the ones that saying, I'm trying to abdicate good original thought and let somebody else figure it out for me, even though they don't have the same context I do, and they don't have the resources I do, or I don't have the resources they do, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't fit. Again, it goes back to if I wanted to be the best uh, uh, basketball person in the world, I could look at what, Kevin Durant and LeBron James do and say, okay, great, I'm just gonna do what they do and that's how I become the number one baseball, uh, basketball player, which of course is ludicrous because I'm 46 and, sh- and not nearly as tall as those guys, let alone as buff and strong. I have to play a different game. I can't out LeBron, LeBron. I can't Kevin out Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant. They are the experts at those things. I have to be something else. I have to find a way to say, okay, how does the fact that I'm only six foot one and a little on the chubby side and maybe not that athletic, how do I use that to add my advantage? And it's fascinating because the basketball championships are on right now, and that's why it's kind of in my head. Um, It's fascinating watching some of these players who are not quite as good find ways of leveraging their innate skills to challenge the number one people. To say, look, I'm not going to play your game. I'm going to play my game. And the game becomes, if I can play my game better for me, then you can play your game better for you. I might actually win. That's the heart of a challenger brand. How do you move the playing field from where everybody says it is to this new space? Look at what Steph Curry did. Again, I'm sorry I'm basketball notes, but Steph Curry literally, because his ability to drop a three from out of nowhere with, with unbelievable accuracy, literally changed the game. The game was how do you put the big biggest dudes at, as close to the baskets as possible? How do you get them to start elbowing for space so they can jump up and put the ball in the hoop? And Steph's like, yeah, 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 I'm not that tall. I'm not even that big. I'm, I'm a pretty thin dude, so I'm going to stay way back here and just pop him in from way outside the line where you guys never even thought I could take a shot. And it turns out I have like a 40% accuracy, which is insane. Literally changed the game. He literally said the game is not by the net. The game is way out here on the perimeter of the three-point shot. And frankly, the better he does, the more he can take another step back before he makes that shot. So the game is way beyond the perimeter. It's in a space where we never thought it could be. He didn't try to out lebron lebron he didn't try to out kevin durant kevin durant he tried to be the best steph curry he could be now ironically kevin durant's learned a few tricks or two but but kevin's still gonna be kevin okay we gotta stop talking about basketball because this is turning into a whole sportscast espn should not sponsor this podcast so let's talk about lessons you can be learning about the concept of employer branding and it's not yes it starts off with clear the absolute and radical embracing of your difference of your differentness to truly say we're differentiated. And we talked about the power of the difference, that being different is quite literally the point of all of this stuff. You wanna be tied or all? Well, it helps if you were owned by the world's biggest product, you know, uh, consumer brand company. But otherwise, if you're a new upstart, you know, uh, laundry detergent, you have to say why you're better. You have to be different in some way. You have to be so, not just a little different, but so clearly different that some segment of the population goes, that sounds really interesting. I want to try that. If you simply say, we're Tide, but we're two cents less, but because we're not number one brand, we're harder to find, and we're not at every store, guess what? Tide wins. Tide can leverage the fact that it's one of the big brands in the space and can elbow you out. You have to make the difference so clear, so unique, so powerful, so meaningful that people, a segment of people can't can't help but say, yeah, I'll try that. That sounds interesting, right? Think of the first person who tried, bought a Roomba. (laughs) That's ludicrous. I'm sorry, you're spending $1,000 on a robot that can kind of sweep some of the dust bunnies off your hardwood? That's nuts. That is nuts because for 100 bucks, I can buy a perfectly valid vacuum cleaner that can go on pretty much any surface. I mean, it's a piece of junk. i have to throw it out after a year, and the bags are paying the ass to change, and I have to push it myself, and I have to plug it in and unplug it. But, you know, whatever. Roomba didn't say we're a little better than a $100 ro- uh, vacuum. We said we are a radically different thing. You never have to touch us. We'll take care of all that stuff. That's it. It had to completely move the game. The field went from how cheaply can I make a vacuum cleaner that sucks up dirt off a carpet to what if we ignored thick carpet? What if we ignored the person? What if we did, you know, did something very different? It's not a little different. It's not 2% different. It's radically different. And so when you're thinking about your employer brand, you can't think in terms of 2 and 3%. You have to think in terms of quantum shifts. How can I say we are just so different about this thing? because the other part of employer brand, we've talked about this before, is that it's not about quantity. You're not trying to get a million applicants in the same way that Tide or All wants millions and millions and millions of people to buy it. You don't. You want five good applicants per candidate or candidates per application, per rec rather. Man, long podcast. You only want a handful of people because anything else is wasted energy. And chances are you're gonna end up sucking those people up and you're gonna have to review them anyway. And maybe there's some software that will help you filter and and stack rank them and rate them or whatever. That's fine, that's cool, whatever you need. But ultimately you just need a handful of people. So you don't need to be the number one leader to make an impact and hire great talent. You need to be the number one leader in something different to hire the best talent and to make a real difference. If you're the number two consumer brand in your space and you know that the number one consumer brand in your space is, is, is just as desperate to hire talented people as you, they're going to leverage the fact that they're number one. In fact, the, what happens is very often is that being number one becomes a disadvantage because they play safe. They say things like, well, we're the number one brand. We can't do the crazy stuff because it might damage our reputation, it might damage our brand. Because of the level of risk involved in being a challenger, in trying new things, we're much more risk-averse. And to the people who say risk-adverse, that's wrong, it's not adverse, it's averse. Risk-averse, just so you know. Just been on my head. So as the challenger brand, you actually get a chance to try new things that other companies won't, and it's very possible for the number two and number three and number 10 brand To compete for the best talent, for the top tier of talent, with the number one company, if you can provide a level of differentiation that makes that a segment of the candidacy of the top tier say, oh, that's interesting. I don't be part of that. And that's why we talk about motivations, and that's why we talk about positioning. To say this is how you not stop playing the the LeBron game and you play your game because your game is just as valid as LeBron James. LeBron's really really good at that game. So don't be LeBron, be you. Just be the best version of you. Be different. Figure out how to make basketball chess. Figure out how to make basketball, how fast can you file tax filings? I don't know, something. Whatever you're really good at, just be so good at it that you change the game. It's doable. And always reject best practices where possible look there's some best practices that are just standard that's like hey look maybe write a better job posting hey maybe put a title in job posting hey um you know there's legal requirements for some of these pieces there are not many of them there are not many best practices that you absolutely must have if you're a small enough company I say reject the ATS altogether there are other ways of connecting and engaging with people well I was talking to to, to Shane Gray over at Clinch, and you know our conversations always tend to be around things like, look, what if you absolutely have, if you really want to be a Challenger brand, you would absolutely reject the concept of the application. right? Current best thinking, best practices in recruitment marketing is how do you get your applica- your jobs posted as far and wide as possible to collect the biggest use the biggest net to troll for the biggest number of applicants? Quantity, quantity, quantity. And if you're really focused on being quality focused, what if you literally remove the application process into which everybody goes, Whoa, what, what? What if you said instead, we need you to read these three articles and watch this video. And having read these three articles and watched this video in totality, we'd like to have, if you're still interested and you have some base skills, here's the application process, and it's handed to you. It's literally like, here's the special magic URL where you get the golden ticket to go and apply. Now, that is absolutely ludicrous to most of us, but I think Shane's right. I think Shane's 100% right. I think the concept of the, the best practices, the ATS, and making everybody else jump through your hoops, the inverse of that is saying, mm-mm, mm-mm. we know what we provide. We know the value of working here and we're going to share it with you so that you understand what you're getting into. So you understand the company and the culture and the brand and the job and the role and the mission and all that stuff before you ever even bother handing us a resume. Are you going to have fewer resumes, fewer applicants? Yes. Is that a good thing? Yes. Because it turns out the more people touch your content, the more people understand about you, the better your interviews are, the more likely they are to accept your offers. I mean, quite literally, if someone reads your content and looks at your video and continues through the application, they feel more certain about the company. They feel more certain about the job. They feel more certain about the opportunity, which means they don't waffle at the end. I mean, you quibble about, rev- qu- quibble about salary, but that's you're, you're, everybody's trained to do that now, right? But you still go, yeah, this is the job. I get it. Now, I understand what this job really is. I want to be a part of this. And your offer acceptance rate goes from 40 and 50% to 80 and 90%. So be different. Be a challenger. Challenge the status quo. Challenge the base level of thinking. Challenge the best practice. Leverage the idea, the fact that you are different as a value add, not a liability. And the more you can do that, and here's the fun part, the more you can do that, the more you can hire higher level of talent. You can effectively punch, punch above your weight. More sports metaphors. I'm so sorry. But to say that you know if you, you, can, you, you can hire quote unquote, Google level talent, but be, still be a small niche market, a small niche company, someone who's trying to do things, but you're doing it so well and so differently than the big boys, as it were, that you attract high, the highest level of talent. And because of that, they will help you innovate. they will help you build. They will help you grow. They will help you make that impact that your company is seeking to make in the world faster than the other companies who are just trying to play follow the leader and that's what i want you to do skip play and follow the leader all right thanks so much for listening you know what uh, you know, this is a little more meta than you need to know. I like this one. This one's going out on Monday. Um, this they actually nailed what I was trying to think about, and, and it's a messy process for me. Okay, <laughs> I try to keep the kimono as open as humanly possible. You get to see how this stuff gets made. Um, probably next week we'll try to do another guest. I've got, uh, I got some people on the hook. I got some ideas. Don't worry um hopefully you like this idea of talking to other people and, and bringing new voices in i'm i'm really enjoying it um and frankly the best part is i don't have to take a, a summer break because of it because i don't feel like i'm burned out or missing stuff so there's that uh as always if you have questions feel free to ping me on twitter at the war for talent go to the talentcast.com that's where the website is you can find me on linkedin you can find me all the places i always love your questions i love your ideas i want you to challenge me right um oh wow Here, here's a fun little meta term um when i built this podcast i started with inter- i literally you can see very early on i started with a few interviews and i decided i was bad at interviews even though the standard way of doing a podcast like this is you interview people and i literally said i'm going to do it differently i'm literally going to do it differently now in this market where chad and cheese have two and three times my audience share chad and cheese are going to do it their way and they're going to do it their way and they're great at it but i'm not going to try and be chad and cheese i'm going to be me and the fact that I'm smaller is fine. I can't play and push around people and get sponsorships like they can. They're doing a great job. I pivoted, I said, look, I'm gonna take no sponsorships. I'm gonna f- try and not do any interviews whatsoever. If I do have other voices, they're different conversations, right? It's not about interview of the week. It's not about news. They do one thing I'm gonna do differently. And my job is to be the best possible this kind of podcast and their job is to be a different, their best possible that kind of podcast. And they do a great job and one day, you know, hopefully maybe I can do just as good a job, if not better at what I do than they do. That's really the game, right? That's way too meta for you. Anyway, thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the shares. I do appreciate it. I'm hoping this helps you. And if it does help me by sharing it and reviewing it, just keep that, keep the word up. I I really do appreciate it. Otherwise I'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of the talent cast.